You remember the years when kids used to do that? They were allowed to go to the front row. Brother Polson, I'm asking. We would run to the front row, and a missionary would click through the slide presentation. After a while, they had two, and they could do them at the same time. And technology has advanced so much, now we can do nice videos and all those things. But missions is still missions. And uh, I love that the Lord has allowed me to be a part of that uh, process in the life of the local church. And I love the fact that you love missions and are a part of that as well here in Ferndale. Not only reaching your community for Christ, uh, being relevant to the people of this place, but also sending others out to do that work. And so, so grateful to be a part of that here this morning and to share from, from my heart. Um, when I was uh, in my younger years, uh, coming out of high school and going into college, I thought I was going to be a professional athlete. I had a scholarship to go do track and field, opportunity to play some college football. Injuries took that away from me, and the Lord started to guide me in a different direction. Initially, I thought, well, he probably wanted me to be an architect. So I studied architecture at Washington State University, figuring I'd make some big bucks and be able to serve him that way. Over the course of studies there, the Lord began to burden my heart more and more for people and less and less for buildings and for, for other things. Now, I still love sports, and I still have to love buildings because it seems like wherever I go, I'm involved in a building project. But the Lord began to orient my heart towards people and towards training others to do ministry. And so the focus of our ministry in Benin is primarily working with pastors and teachers and uh, training them, giving them the tools that they need uh, to be better ministers of the gospel. And then working with young people from the youngest of ages. My wife begins with them in Sunday school, and I take them on uh, later on in their teen years, uh, teaching them, training them, giving them opportunities to learn from God's word and trusting the Holy Spirit to guide them, calling them into ministry, whatever that may look like. And I believe ministry is not just standing in the pulpit and preaching, but we're training people to be nurses and doctors. I'm not training people to be nurses and doctors because I'm always telling my colleagues, non-medical personnel, that's me, please don't ask me to bring you, bring you a, 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 anything for cutting people or poking them or anything like that. I will talk to them when you're done. Uh, I'm one of them guys that faints at the sight of blood. So we're obviously not all created equal in every sense, but I believe that people gifted in that area have been called to serve God in that capacity. Uh, the guys that I work with on the work on the construction site, they are, they are called to work with their hands, and they still minister unto the Lord in many different ways. But we want them to be equipped and prepared to share the gospel at every turn and every opportunity that they have. Now, one thing that I've learned as a missionary, as a child, seeing missionaries, boy, they were just larger than life, and you only see what you see on Sunday morning, which, of course, we want to tell you the good things that God's doing. You don't live with us and, and, and see that we're really just average, ordinary, fragile people. But now being a missionary and living with missionaries and working with missionaries, I realize more and more how weak and fragile we are and the struggles and challenges that we face. We're really grateful to the Lord for this uh, I was going to say furlough. I'll say the word furlough, and then I'll correct myself. We're referring this to now as home assignment, and uh, oftentimes we use the term furlough, but home assignment is a better reflection of what happens when we come home. There's not a lot of rest, uh, more travel. It's a change of pace that we very much enjoy, but we usually go back to the field wiped out and in need of a vacation. And uh, the timing of this particular furlough slash home assignment has been uh, very evident to be of the Lord. Uh, you know, we returned home, and we're grateful to be with family again, and uh, discovered within a month of re returning home that my father was diagnosed with brain cancer. 
and uh, the doctors were not able to do many of the traditional treatments because it had spread to multiple lobes of his brain, and it began to affect him rapidly when he was, uh, he was over here in Cedar Woolley doing some work and started having seizures. They had to take him to the Mount Vernon uh, clinic and then for, or the hospital and then from there to Harborview. So we spent a number of weeks with him in Harborview, and his health has steadily declined from that time. And I'm thanking the Lord that we're home. This could have occurred when we were away. It had occurred while we were home to be with Dad, to be with Mom, to help them with the transitional things that need to take place, uh, getting them new, moved into a new home and all those things. But that doesn't make it easy. That doesn't mean I've always enjoyed what the Lord has brought us through, but I am grateful for the Lord's perfect timing. And many events that occurred, you know, as, I, as we've been home, my grandmother, a Sunday school teacher for, I think they said, 78 years at First Baptist Church in Cedar Woolley, went home to be with the Lord. And so being home, we were able to be a part of that uh, memorial service and be with family. And uh, at the same time, being a part of uh, transitioning my grandparents on the other side, they had to sell their property, move into, uh, actually they didn't move, they stayed in their home, but moving all of their things out of the garage and selling things. And it was a month-long process. And we were home and able to help and be with grandpa and grandma. So many different things that the Lord has blessed in allowing us to be a part of our family's lives and, and be home. But we can't always be there at home because the Lord has called us to Benin, and we have a family in Benin now, uh, ministry colleagues and nationals who we love and long to be with. So missionaries experience this tearing uh, of, of passion uh, from our family and our home here. I'm not afraid to call this home when we're in the United States. In our family and home, home is in Benin. In fact, my children are still, they think of Benin more as home because they've spent more years of their lives in Benin than the United States, but it's challenging. And I think about the, the, the realities of life, and I've entitled this morning's message, Matters of Perspective. We have so much to look forward to, and I'm not just talking about tomorrow. You'll understand better if you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, this morning in Sunday school, we looked at verses 11 through 21 briefly, We'll spend a little bit more time in, in, the, in the time that we have together today uh, in verses 1 through 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Thinking about the gift of life that God has given to us and the curse of sin and how that has impacted every one of us. We are uh, impacted by sin, our own sin primarily, because we have to live with and deal with ourselves daily but also the consequences of the sins of those around us. Wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to deal with other people's sin? Our, our own sin is, is enough, but then we deal with the culture that we are a part of and the neighbors that we have and the family that is so close to us and the sin and the consequences that bear down on us. And some of those consequences we recognize to be uh, uh, physical consequences like uh, that lead to death, the, the cancers, the diseases, the uh, my own family has uh, had malaria over and over in Benin, West Africa. I've had it five times. My children, some of them have had it twice. It's debilitating. It's, it makes you begin to wonder, why, Lord? Why did you bring me to this part of the world and make me suffer these things? And yet he brings us through and gives us perspective. He allows us to suffer because of our sin. And that sin and the suffering allow us, give us the, the privilege of looking to him and recognizing that there's only one solution to our problem. It's Jesus Christ. There's no medication that will take away the burden of sin. There's no feel-good solution that a psychologist can offer to us. They can certainly be helpful in some areas. But only Jesus Christ 
in his death and burial on the cross can pave the way for me to find um, freedom and relief from the problem of sin. And the Apostle Paul in chapter, really in all of 2 Corinthians, gives us great perspective on his own life and, and person as he struggled through the sufferings and persecutions of life as a believer in Christ and the joy of walking with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what I wanted to, to expose us to again this morning in chapter 5, looking at Paul's perspective in preparing for eternity, looking ahead to what is yet to come, expanding our perspective, thinking about matters that are very weighty and important to our lives. And there are three considerations this morning that I want to deliver to you that help to bring our lives into perspective. And these are relevant to you whether you are just now beginning to understand me in your youngest years, kindergarten up through, through uh, fifth grade or whatever it is. If you're a, a young teen, if you're in your college years, or if you're in your middle age, or if you're soon going home to be with our Savior. This is relevant. It's meaningful to you. Three considerations that help us to bring our lives into perspective. I'd like to begin by just reading the text, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10, and then we'll begin to look at these matters together. Paul writes, We know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Verse 5, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that we, while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Let's pray as we enter the study of the word this morning. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your presence with us. You are a great, awesome, mighty, powerful God who controls the universe around us, but you are a God who is near. And by your spirit you have communion with us here even in this room this morning because of those who have placed their faith and trust in you within whom you indwell. We thank you for your closeness. We thank you for your desire to experience and have communion with us, a relationship that is eternal that you have begun, that by your grace you have made possible to each one of us here this morning. And so we ask as we open your word the chief means through which you communicate to us that you would open our hearts and minds, that you would help us to see you, that you would help us to come closer to you, that you would help us to know 
just what it is that you would have us to do. We ask that you would find us faithful this morning in our hearts, in our minds, and in the actions that take place as we go from this place and into the world. Thank you for Jesus and for his work in our behalf, in whose name we pray, amen. Matters of perspective. So much that you and I have to look forward to, and yet we often do not look at it that way. Look with me primarily, or beginning at verses 1 through 5. And I want us to be reminded this morning that our days on the earth are numbered. And I believe that the Apostle Paul wanted us to remember that our days on the earth are short. And that we have something much more precious to look forward to. He begins this portion of Scripture by saying, We know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, Paul is wanting us to understand, one, our days are numbered, two, that our bodies are fragile. And this existence is short-term. And in chapter 4, he refers to us as vessels or jars of clay. Now, in Benin, West Africa, we use jars of clay for a lot of things. We use it to hold water and keep it cool. We use it for trash. We use it for a number of different reasons. And vessels of clay, we have to replace oftentimes after six to eight months. They just don't last very long. They develop cracks. They fall apart. The water starts to come out. It no longer works. Sometimes they, they get infected with uh, parasites or whatever it is because the water source may not be as clean. Uh, algae grows on it, and it gets soft and brittle, soft or brittle, and can fall apart. That's the nature of clay vessels, and we're described as that. Vessels of clay. And here Paul says we live in earthly homes like tents. Now Paul was what? He was a tent maker. You know, the Apostle Paul did not want to be a burden to the local church. And these the beginning churches that he was starting in the first century didn't have the means to support a missionary like we do today. In fact, uh, they uh, struggled very much even to feed the poor amongst them. So Paul didn't want to be a burden to them. So he took it upon himself to work with his hands. And he made tents. Now, there are not a lot of tent makers in our world today. Most of that's done by machines. There are men who design them, but now they're made by machines. But we understand the language of, of camping. You, you, you pitch a tent and you strike a tent. You put it up, you take it down. And that's the language that the Apostle Paul uses to describe our mortal flesh, our bodies. They are fading, they are weak, they are fragile. And in that first phrase, uh, first line, he says, this tent is destroyed. In uh, one translation, uh, we read dissolved. But the, the, the language really is referring to the process where a tent is taken down, is brought down and rolled up and put aside. Or maybe an old tent that develops holes, it's just gotten rid of. And that's the nature of our physical bodies. But we need not despair because Paul's point is that we have a building from God not made with hands like the tents that he made, but an eternal dwelling, eternal in the heavens. That's what we have to look forward to. Know that our days are numbered. I know the Apostle Paul was a student of Scripture. Even before he came to know Christ as his Savior, he was a student of the Old Testament law. And he would have understood very well when Moses wrote uh, in, in Psalm chapter 90, 
verses 10 through 12, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom, is what Moses said to the people, is what Paul would remember, and is what Paul was living. Our days are numbered. It's interesting to me, looking back, Moses wrote this thousands of years, even, even, even at a minimum 1,500 years before Paul, about 70 to 80 years was the average span of life. I want you to know many parts of the world, if, if you reach 70, you are privileged. In Benin, the life expectancy is 59. Uh, many, many don't make it to, into their teens because of the, the child mortality rate. But uh, that's something that is still cons- con- consistent today. 70 to 80 years is an average span of life. And that's what we have to anticipate here on earth. But that's not all that we have to look forward to. For those who are in Christ, that is the time we will spend in these tents. And while we are in these tents, we must be looking forward to a house not made with hands, but that is eternal in the heavens. Paul placed his faith in the resurrection. He looked forward to that day when either he would pass and be resurrected into the presence of Christ, or that Christ himself would come and call us to himself. Now, we look forward to that day when the trumpet will sound and we will go into the heavens, into the clouds, to be with our Heavenly Father and Savior, Jesus Christ. We long for that day. Interestingly, Paul uses this language, verses 2 and 4, he says, we groan. He's longing for that. You know, the the older I become, I'm not that old yet, I'm almost 40, but not quite. But uh, the groaning has already begun. You know, I I got up this morning, and uh, partly I I just don't like to wake up any time and know that my wife's not with me. That's a pain. Got to cook my own breakfast and uh, find my own clothes and all those things that I'm just lost without my wife. It's not that bad, but we do have a very close relationship. You know, I get up this morning and oh, a little stiff from four hours in the car the day before. And, you know, I just, this summer I was uh, with another church. We were doing some youth events and in my mind I was still 22. And so we're, you know, playing some softball and sprinting to the base and pull the hamstring. You didn't used to do those kinds of things. And they tell me that it, it, it builds upon itself. And you groan more and more over time. And you begin to recognize, young people, I want to tell you right now, understand that your bodies are going to groan. And you're going to face and experience these things. Some of them you experience even, even injuries in sports or whatever it is. But Paul's point here is that very real to us, we groan in these bodies, in this tent He says in verse 2 in reference to the tent. And again in verse 4. Being burdened, he says, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. We want life. You know, uh, you've, you've heard of the book written, Eternity in Their Hearts. There is a truth that eternity has been implanted into the life of every human being. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 3.11, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. And this became real to me as I had children. Watching my young children growing up in a, in a Christian home, being exposed to the gospel. My youngest son, Elias, is just three years old now, but before he turned three, 
he was communicating well, and, and uh, he's an intelligent little boy, much like his mother. And um, one day he came to me, he came beside me, I was sitting reading in a chair, and he was weeping, he was crying. I said, Elias, what's wrong? I, you know, I thought he smashed his finger or something. He said, I want to see Jesus. And immediately I was struck as a father. Here's a young child. He wants to see Jesus. And, and he shook and he trembled and he cried. And he said, I, I want to be able to sit on his lap. I want to see him. And I began to cry. I kept it back as much as I could so that he wouldn't notice. But I realized that my son was being raised in a home where Jesus is real. And we talk to him morning, noon, night, and throughout the day. And we speak of him as if he's real because he's real. And he believed that at two years old. Now, he doesn't understand all the ramifications of that. And one day soon, we believe that he will probably make that decision of faith where he will be a child of God. But I saw eternity in the heart of a two-year-old child. And we were created that way. We are made that way. And yet we focus so much of our lives on just the aching and groaning and pain of today. I think what Paul wanted for the Corinthians, he wanted them to have a better perspective. Yes, you are going to face the trials and sufferings of this life and the groanings and the pain. And your days are certainly numbered on the earth. But there is something much better to look forward to. In verse 3 he says, If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. I believe the reference is probably in Paul's mind to Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve enjoyed a relationship that you and I have yet to experience. Communion with God. I believe that probably Christ walked in the garden with them. Now we have communion with God, but it is broken because of sin that exists within us. Now God has solved the problem of sin. He has given us the solution, but sin reigns in us until we will see him fully. One day we will, we will finally be perfect. We will, we will be as Adam and Eve once were and have that relationship with our Heavenly Father. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were suddenly in search of something to cover them, and they were filled with shame. And we don't want that. We don't want shame. We want something more. We want something better. We want the, the, the fulfillment of that relationship with Christ. We ought to desire that, and Paul desired that. He says, it's not that we want to be unclothed, and I believe he's, he's talking about death and passing, but we want to be further clothed that this mortal state in which we live will be swallowed up by immortality, by life. That's the desire of the human condition. And yet we so often forget who we are and our incapacities, and we get swallowed up by our groanings and the sufferings of this life. Our earthly condition is marked by suffering and affliction. Can I lay out you for just a moment here? For you, in 2 Corinthians, some of the sufferings that Paul faced as he was writing this, or had faced before he wrote it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8, we read, We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Same letter Chapter 4, verses 7 through 15. I won't read all the verses, but just that's the context. He says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. He goes on to say, We're persecuted, struck down, 
caring about in our bodies the dying of Jesus, listing these sufferings and trials that we face, intermixed with the joys and privileges in that particular passage. Chapter 6, he's not done. Chapter 6, verses 4 through 10. He says, In everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in afflictions and hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, tumults, labors, sleeplessness, hunger. You could continue through there. It would make you tired. But go on to chapter 11 and it gets worse. Chapter 11, he really lays out all the sufferings that he's faced in verses 23 through 27 in particular. He says, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so, and far more labors, and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure of me on me of concern for all the churches. Now, you don't have to wonder why Paul was groaning, do you? Imagine facing all that over the course of a short span of life and the perspective that it brings when you know that that's not all. That there is an end to the suffering. That God has a plan for our lives that involves a return, a reconciliation, whereby we become friends with God. And we have eternity to look forward to where we will spend our days forever with Him. And that really brings us to the the second point or the second uh, uh, consideration from this passage, verses 6 through 8. Paul wants us to anticipate eternity with Christ. Recognize our frailty. Recognize that our days are numbered, but not to despair. No, to look forward to and anticipate that we will one day be in the presence of Christ. He says in verse 5, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. We need not be left wondering. The Spirit is there to confirm in our hearts the truth of God's Word, the truth of the Gospel, that there is hope for you and me. And so Paul says, so we are always confident. Now, are you always confident? I can't say that I'm always confident, but I ought to be because I have every reason to be confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, speaking of our mortal flesh, We are absent from the Lord. Now, he's talking about physical presence and relationship. He's not saying that we can't have relationship with the Lord. He's saying that we're not physically present with him. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And that's what my son Elias was working through. He believed Jesus lived. He believed he existed. He wanted to see him. He wanted that confirmation for his own little heart. We desire that. But Paul says we walk by faith. We move through these circumstances, through these challenges in life because of our faith, not because of what we have seen. He says we are confident in verse 8. Yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Paul was anticipating eternity with Jesus Christ. His great hope was found in the resurrection of the believer. And he lays that out in, well, all over in his letters, but primarily, if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let's look at just a few excerpts of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Try and get there quickly. 
and what Paul has to say about this glorious resurrection. Beginning in verse 38, and I'm just going to skip through a number of different verses. Verse 38, we read, But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. Speaking of the resurrection, the resurrection body. Then in verse 42 we read, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. And then we read again in verse 44, It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. These are truths that Paul is laying out. These are the hope that he anticipates. Verse 46, However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, the one that groans. That is first. And then the spiritual in verse 46. And then again uh, in verses 52, I'll read 52 through 54. I wish we had time to just go through the whole passage, but we don't. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. That's what Paul was looking forward to. That's what he wanted the Corinthians to understand in this, his fourth letter that we refer to as 2 Corinthians eternity in our hearts. Paul says of himself in Philippians chapter 1, verses 22 through 23, that his preference would be to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. He said, I, if I live in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I choose I cannot tell, for I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Do you feel that way this morning? Think about these things. The Christian life is about growing in relationship with Jesus Christ, is about knowing Him. We cannot touch Him. We cannot see Him with our eyes, but we can know Him through His Word. And we can experience Him through our lives as the truth of His Word touches us and we become closer and closer to Him. And the desire of our hearts becomes more and more to be present with Him. And then when trials and sufferings come upon us, we don't despair. We just long for him. And that was his plan. To draw us back into relationship with himself. Paul said to the Romans later on, later letter, chapter 8 and verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Familiar verse, familiar passage. Paul had grown to the point in his life where he desired above all else to be present with the Lord. And he knew that the sufferings that he faced now were not so big, were not so great that he could not move through them and look past them in anticipation of eternity with his heavenly Father. Paul walked by faith, not by sight. Thirdly, prepare for the reunion. Prepare for that moment where you will see your creator face to face. Start now, young people. Start now, middle-aged. Begin again if you haven't, elderly who are amongst us. Walking with the Lord, preparing for the time where we will face our Savior. 
Paul writes, Therefore, because of all this that we know to be true, the frailty of our lives and the great uh, life that we have to look forward to in Christ, therefore we make it our aim, whether present in this body or absent and with the Lord, to be well-pleasing to Him, Him, our Heavenly Father. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Paul's challenge to the Corinthian people was to live for the Lord. Use the time that you have on this earth that is short to honor God. You will receive a reward one day for the things done in the flesh, in the body, in our mortal state on the day that you stand before the Bema seat of Christ. You've heard reference to the Bema seat. And this is a reference here to the Bema seat, the judgment seat, whereby Christ will be elevated and we will come before him and he will bestow gifts upon those who have honored and served him. It's a separate judgment from the, from the judgment of death into the, into the pit of hell. This is a judgment for believers, something we look forward to and anticipate. We come before our Heavenly Father because our sin was already judged. The burden of our sin was paid for. And we stand before Christ, the ultimate judge. purpose of this judgment that he's referring to here, the judgment seat of Christ, is not judicial to, to, uh, to uh, punish us for our sins, but rather to give us recompense, reward, as we stand before him. That's what we have to look forward to. We will come before the Lion of Judah trembling in awe and reverence of who he is, and he will look upon us as his children, and he will give us reward for what we have done in the mortal flesh in this life. How much do you think about that? That day is coming soon, very soon for all of us. Paul refers to this particular judgment in 1 Corinthians. He kind of laid it out for them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11 through 15. He writes, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day, and in your Bibles, if you, if you see there, the day is capitalized. He's referring to a specific day, not just any day. This is the day of judgment, the Bema Seat of Christ. We'll declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Are you prepared for this reunion? I'm speaking to those who are in Christ this morning. I believe, as, as Paul would have understood and he, when he wrote this letter to the Corinthians, that his primary audience was believers, those who had placed their faith and trust in Christ. And so primarily I'm speaking to you this morning because you have done that. That transaction has been made. You are a new creature. Do you think about these things? Are you comfortable with your mortality? Are you comfortable with the rea reality that your days are numbered? And that you have something very exciting to look forward to. Are you excited about that? Is the church today excited that Christ is coming? Or are you excited that if he doesn't come, you will go to him and be with him? 
I hope you are. The illustration I'd like to give this morning uh, comes from the sports world. Forgive me, that's offensive to you. But uh, I'm a football fan. And I remember in high school football, we had a very driven, motivated high school football coach. And we would come to the end of the day of practice, and we'd all be tired and, and ill, ready to go home, especially in the heat of September. And we, he'd blow the whistle, we'd all congregate together, and we'd think we were done. He'd say, nope, line it up. Everybody lines up on the line. He tells us, hands in the air, four fingers up. It's the fourth quarter. Oh, everybody groans. Nobody wants to do fourth quarter drills. But he wanted his team to be the strongest team at the end of the game. And so we ran back and forth and did jumping jacks and did all kinds of things until people were falling on the field and we just couldn't do it anymore. He wanted us to be ready for the end of the game. I thought about that in relationship to our own lives. You know, there's a good number in here that are still in the first quarter. You're just beginning the game, young people. There's some of us that are ending the second and getting ready to start the second half. Second quarter and getting ready to start the second half. There are others that are in the fourth quarter. Some are in overtime. Praise God, right? (laughs) Wherever you're at in the scheme of the game of life, are you preparing for the end? You know, I I guess it's natural that with age, we think more and more of these things and we have a, a broader perspective on them. But I don't want just the elderly in the room to be thinking of this. They're thinking of this already. I want the young people in this room to be thinking about what you're going to do with your life. You may not know. You don't have all the answers. So no, no one does at, at 16, 18, 21. They're still working through those things. But think about the broad and important things of life. And whatever it is that you do, will it be for God's glory? Will you stand before him someday and enter into his kingdom and receive rewards? You know what you're going to do with those rewards? You're not going to put them on your head. You're not going to put them in your pocket. You're not going to display them on a mantle. You're going to give them back. And that's going to be your worship. Imagine coming to the end and having nothing to give back, but just being suffering loss, but being saved as through fire. I want to have something to give back. I want to worship him with those rewards. Those who long for heaven do not despair in the face of trials and tribulations. They strive to honor Christ. The challenge this morning is to look forward to Christ's return. My encouragement to you from the word is to long to be joined to him again. When you face the groanings and the trials of today, as believers, eagerly desire to be present with the Lord and serve him with the time that you have. Young people, middle-aged, and elderly. What a privilege we have to live. One of the things that I have enjoyed in living almost uh, beginning our 10th year in Africa is a new perspective because Africans um, in, in our part of Africa don't take for granted tomorrow because many of them don't make it to tomorrow. They die younger than we do. They face uh, various afflictions that we're not ex- exposed to. In our culture, we're very comfortable. Now, we, we have our trials, and we have, I don't want to belittle the, the things that we do face, but like I mentioned a bit ago, it's usually not until you're elderly that you really put a lot of thought into eternal things and forever. 
But whenever I've heard an African pastor or preacher come to the pulpit and pray, one of the first things they almost always say is, thank you for life today and for the opportunities that we have today. And they'll continue by saying something to this effect because there are some we know who didn't make it to today. And use us today. And I want that perspective to pervade our culture. I want us to learn from that and to know that today is so important. And what we do for the sake of our Savior is so important today. Live life with these matters of perspective in your hearts. Don't allow the moments to pass from youth into our aged years without often considering what you're doing and why and for who it is for. Our great God and Heavenly Father, our Savior Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, you see us and you know each one of us intimately. And we who are here in this mortal flesh, we also desire to know you and to grow in you. And it's a process we know. But we ask you today to help us by your spirit, guide each of us into communion with you in such a way that we would even be able to relish the sufferings and and challenges of this life in light of the glory that we will receive when we are present with you. In Jesus' name, amen.